On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we look back at the week that was the 2019 NFL Draft. My friend, my colleague, Louis Riddick, the ESPN analyst, will join us to break down some teams that succeeded and some teams that left us with some questions. And then we'll be joined by another friend and colleague, ESPN researcher Evan Kaplan, who's got some analytical trends on the quarterbacks from the 2019 NFL Draft. And then we'll be joined by the man that this week told ESPN he was retiring. Longtime Raiders kicker Sebastian Janikowski stops by to reflect on 19 NFL seasons with the Oakland Raiders and Seattle Seahawks. But first, a look back at the draft. Uh, joining us now, my friend, my colleague, the ESPN draft analyst, Louis Riddick, who I would imagine by now has been able to take a nap or two since the time at the draft. But Lou, now that the draft has wrapped up, I'm just curious what stood out most to you as you look back upon the weekend in Nashville. You know, I, I think, well, a couple things. One, if you just look at the draft overall, the atmosphere and the enormity in terms of the interest and the excitement surrounding the draft has far exceeded anything that I think any of us ever imagined it would, especially when it started going on this, you know, uh, worldwide or United States-wide city tour. Yep. It, it, it's amazing to me that, that it just keeps growing like it does. I mean, simply for the selection of players. Coming out of college, going to the pros, I mean, that, that blows my mind that it's become more than just about that. It's, it's literally become like a, a three-day, like, draft of Palooza. It's kind of it's wild, and, and I think we all kind of probably, probably uh, have the same, same feeling about that. Now, number two, just from, from, uh, from the NFL standpoint and from the team standpoint, I think there was more – the draft seemed more methodical and very much so very – I, I would just I would say from a team standpoint, organized, you could see why teams were doing what they were doing and selecting the players that they were selecting pretty much overall. Now, whether or not you think the players that they selected are the right ones isn't the point, but how they were trying to go about addressing what they needed team by team, it all a lot of it made sense. There weren't a whole lot of those, you know, what the hell was that kind of picks. There yep. there were you may may have debated the quality of the player. But you, you could see teams really did think about what it is that they needed at this point in time in the year, and they tried to address it. And that's what I think was going to make for some really good quality conversation once uh, training camp and the season starts as far as did they take the right players. And I, and I like that. I, I love, you know me, man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of smart football, and I think we got a bunch of that based on how the draft and even free agency has gone. What stood out to you about, about being smart? Who made a smart move? What was something where you said, man, this team is just on it? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the team that had a lot of, well, there's two of them, right? And they're kind of polar opposites. The team that had a lot of skepticism surrounding them going into the draft because of uh, because of the general manager's lack of experience, that being Oakland, and, you know, maybe John Gruden's history of not having a whole lot of success success in his previous stop in Tampa as far as drafting and, and developing. That was a team that people were interested in considering all the draft capital they, they had. Yep. But you, and, and you know what? Look, Cleveland Farrell, you know they needed an edge rusher. You may not have agreed with the guy that they picked, but they did the right thing. They need a runner. They need a guy who can really hammer the football between the tackles and every down back. Whether or not you think Josh Jacobs was worthy of being a first-round pick, it made sense that they picked him. They need a safety. An all-around, do-it-all, in the middle of the field hammer. Jonathan Abrams is that. They need another corner. Trayvon Mullen is one of the probably one of the least talked about 
skilled players, if you want to call a corner a skilled player, in this draft who's going to surprise some people. Uh, Isaiah Johnson, another long, tall um, corner in the, in the form of, you know, kind of in the mold of what Al Davis used to love, a guy who I think could surprise some people. Max Crosby, I talked about him a lot, the defensive end from Eastern Michigan. I really like this guy. I said he's kind of like a – he's a Jared Allen clone. Jared Allen was a um, fourth-round pick, too, when he came out of college, when Kansas City drafted him. That's the kind of guy – these are the kind of draft picks that are just smart. They make sense, and I think they got the value right in large part for most of these guys. And then, of course, if you flip it to the other side, you always assume New England's going to do the right thing, yeah. that they're going to kind of build their team the right way. You can't argue with any of their picks. I mean, you, you can't argue with the methodology behind them. You may not like the players, but even those, I would challenge you I would challenge you to say, now, what, what don't you like about Nikhil Harry? What don't you like about Chase Winovich? What don't you like about the value they got for Damian Harris, Godney Kajuse, uh, Froholt, Stidham, Brian Coward? What, what can you say about that team, about those selections, in terms of where they picked them, that you don't like? So, I mean, it's just, that, that, that's good, smart football right there. And, and I, that, that has me excited to see how these guys look once training camp rolls around. New England was unbelievable. And I want to say something about their first-round pick, Nikhil Harry, Arizona State. They took Nikhil Harry at 32. Nikhil Harry took a visit to the Arizona Cardinals during the draft process and was on the radio in Arizona a couple of days before the draft and made it very well known that if he had been available at 33, he said he would have been the pick. And I think San Francisco also liked Nikhil Harry. So -hmm. there were two teams lined up waiting to draft Nikhil Harry should he get through, and he didn't because, of course, he gets the New England slot, and the Patriots get him just before he comes out on the board. And in a draft where a lot of people said they had a lot of different grades on wide receivers and cornerbacks, that some teams would have certain wide receivers in round one or two, and certain teams would have other cornerbacks in round one or two, it seemed like after the Patriots got Nikhil Harry, everybody professed their love for Nikhil Harry. Who plays football a lot like Des Bryant. And all of a sudden, Nikhil Harry was a first round pick, and he was a first round pick because New England took him in the last spot in the first round, right before Arizona was going to pick him in the opening spot of the second round. Isn't that amazing that happens? Yeah, yeah, it's always like that. I mean, everybody, you know, you're going to hear a lot of that. And then all of a sudden, and then when, uh, if certain players don't, don't pan out, you'll hear people flip to the other side. Well, I had these concerns about him in terms of availability, maybe character, maybe he wasn't too wasn't fast enough. It, it's funny. At this time of year, optimism reigns supreme and arrogance kind of reigns supreme, meaning everybody had guys pegged exactly where they went, if they liked them, and it'll flip later on and it'll be, well, you know what, maybe he was drafted too high. I would never have taken him there. I mean, it, it's always like that, which, which, which is what keeps football in the headlines right now because there's no certainty surrounding whether any of these guys were good picks. And that's why you love it because there's so many things that are going to go into whether the, these players ultimately wind up being good picks or bad ones. And, I mean, that, that's, that's the fun of it. You can, you can generally, though, assume that the good programs, and we know which ones they are because they're the ones that traditionally are playing late into January and in February, by and large know what they're doing, have picked players that will generally produce for them at a high level. And, and I would assume, especially since we're talking about New England here and Nikhil Harry, Look, Chase Winovich is going to be I, – I would venture to say he will be one of those guys. I, I'll bet he's knocking on the door of double-digit sacks. I'll just say he'll get double-digit sacks this year, barring injury. This year, Chase Winovich. 
this this week this year. He wow. will. Like Adam, I'm 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 going to tell you, hand use wise, as far as pass rush is concerned, and having a feel for how to stay clean, keep people from punching him and locking on to him, feeling how offensive tackles are setting on him, whether they're heavy on him, whether they're light on him, whether he should use speed, whether he should use power. This guy is right up there with Nick Bosa as far as knowing how to pass rush. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not as big. He may not be as powerful. But he's faster, and he is – I mean, his, his, this guy never comes off the field, ever. Ever. He was always on the field. And a lot of times when I'm sitting there looking for Rashawn Gary, I'm going, damn, Winovich never comes off. Mm-hmm. And his motor never stops. And he's not the quintessential, stereotypical, try-hard guy that we all know people throw out those those stereotypes. This guy is a bowler. And he went to the ultimate bowler organization. I'm telling you, he'll, he'll have double-digit sacks this year. Damian Harris will be a heck of a contributor. Kajurist and Froholt are getting tutored by the Grandmaster himself. Yep. And Dante Scarnacchia. So you know they're going to be good. And you know, Jared Stidham, I, I just hope I hope Tom Brady's around enough during the offseason, especially you know, maybe when they get to phase three of the offseason program, that he comes around when they're actually doing 7-on-7 seven seven and 11-on-11 11 11 out on the field, that Jared can benefit from seeing Tom work and seeing him operate, at least at that point in the offseason. Because if he is, combined with what he will get from Bill and what he will get from Josh McDaniels, he couldn't have gone to a better place. He just couldn't have. He will find out everything he needs to find out about himself as a football player, what his mental capacity is, what his competitive capacity is, what his physical capacity capacity is, because you know how that place works better yeah. than anyone. They don't let you slip. They hold you accountable. They don't just talk about it. They do it. And I think he he couldn't have asked for a better place to go. You know, it's interesting because I did a appearance on WEEI on the morning of the draft, and they were all – curious about whether the Patriots would take a quarterback at 32. Mm-hmm. And I said to them that morning, I'm like, hey, I'm sure they're on the lookout for a quarterback, but they're not going to force something and mm-hmm. take a quarterback early or than they need to, like some teams. They're going to sit there and they're going to wait for a quarterback to slide. And when they take a quarterback in the fourth round at pick 133, as the Patriots did with Auburn's Jarrett Stidham, that tells you how much they really like this guy. This isn't Danny Etling, the LSU quarterback, in the seventh round last year, although they liked Etling too. This is a fourth-round pick on a quarterback where they have a lot of needs there in New England, more than a defending Super Bowl champion would ordinarily have. And all it does, though, is it gives Jarrett Stidham a chance to, I think, grow into this role as the successor to Tom Brady. And maybe he will, and maybe he won't. But I think yeah. a lot of people thought Jarrett Stidham is a lot better talent than the 133rd overall selection. There's no, there's no question about that. And look, there, there's various reasons that you can point to as to why his 2018 dropped off in 2017 as far as production is concerned. Although if you look at his last game of the year this year at Auburn against Purdue, you saw in that game – everything that you needed to see to say, now, if I can just extract that kind of performance out of him on a much more consistent basis, then now you're talking about a guy who, after the 2017 season, many thought could be a first or second rounder easily. Yep. Easily. So that, that's the key. Look, that, that's you – know, Bill, Bill used to say – Belichick used to say it to us as players – 
and basically used to explain it to me myself when I was a player is this, you know, the difference between guys who back up in the NFL and the guys who start are the starters are the ones who can maintain a certain level of performance to where they can play winning football and you can win games. Backups aren't necessarily less talented. They're just less consistent. They're unable to kind of tap into that ability whether you know that physical ability or that mental capacity to do stuff the right way and not blow assignments or what have you, that that's why they can't be counted on to do it all the time. They may be able to do it for a game, fill in for the regular starter, then you put them on, put them back on the bench. They become a special team or whatever. Hmm. That's really what Jared became in 2018. That guy whose performance was all over the place. If they can even that out, whatever that is, whether it's how he's taught, how he's corrected, how plays are called his health, his training, you know, his personal life, whatever it is that helps you even those things out, he has the same kind of ability that Drew Locke has as far as throwing the football, that Dwayne Haskins has, that Daniel Jones has. There's nothing they can do that he can't do. He can't run like Kyler Murray. Yeah, no kidding. He can throw the ball as good as any of those guys. When he's on, yep. when he's down at the senior bowl, if you just put blank numbers on there and put, put white helmets on them that had no, no logos, First round he would have been like, this guy's as good as anybody down here. He may be the best one here. <laughs> so I hope they nailed it. I hope he, they're able to tap into that because, what it, well, I'm sure there's plenty of people who don't hope they do because it'll just continue to solidify that the man who's running the show up there is just the greatest coach of, of all time. <laughs> but, but it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me. Now, you bring up the Patriots, and I think one of the most hotly debated, talked about drafts, from last week was the New York Giants. Before you give me your take and before I ask you about their draft, I want to share a couple of things. I know that Dave Gettleman said that there were two teams he knows for a fact were going to take the first-round pick that they took, Daniel Jones. And, again, I don't know why that's relevant to the whole conversation. You should Mm -hmm. be taking a guy where you want, what you believe in. And in my mind, I can't find two teams because I think he's referring – as most people would agree, to the Denver Broncos and the Washington Redskins. The Washington mm-hmm. Redskins were a Dwayne Haskins team all along. And in fact, when we had Dwayne Haskins on this podcast last week, and my producer Josh Macri could testify to this, at the end of the podcast, when we were off camera talking, or offline talking, I said, hey, get ready, you're going to Washington. Josh, did yep. I not say that to him? You did, and he okay. said, we'll see. And he said, we'll see. The Washington Redskins wanted Dwayne Haskins. The Denver Broncos... We're not taking Daniel Jones in the first round. That was not the guy they wanted. At one point in time, Daniel Jones intrigued them. And I can tell you this for a fact. They were curious about him. And then they shifted to go to Drew Locke. Drew Locke was going to be the quarterback, and they didn't want to do that in the first round. And so it worked out as well as Denver could have. So now could Cincinnati at 11 been the sleeper team that Gettleman knows for a fact would have taken Locke? Could Carolina... Sure, anything's possible, but I firmly believe that Daniel Jones would have been on the clock for the New York Giants at number 17. I believe, actually, that Daniel Jones might have been on the clock for the New York Giants when they traded back up into the first round to go get DeAndre Baker at that Mm -hmm. point in time. I think that he would have been there at that spot, DeAndre Baker, number 30. So... I guess here's my question to you, Lou. You interviewed mm-hmm. for the Giants general manager job, and I don't know if you mm-hmm. thought about this, but I have. Mm-hmm. How different would their course of history over the last two years been had you been the GM? <laughs> I 
Yeah, you know, it's a tough question for me to answer. But it, and well, not a tough question, but one I, I don't know if I want to answer. But I, let, let me let me put it this way. Let's put it this way. And I'll go all the way back to the beginning. All right. I was one of the people who supported the fact that what they saw in Saquon Barkley was valid, mm-hmm. legitimate, okay? And that he was, from a pure value standpoint, if not the best player in the draft, he was damn close to being the best player in the draft. So picking him number two overall, I didn't have a problem with I understand philosophically what they were trying to do. And I knew, I knew how ownership felt about him. I knew how that place felt about him. I knew how the league felt about him. I knew how people felt about Saquon. And I understood the philosophy of, okay, if we take him and we do reasonably assess that Eli Manning is someone who we need to just build up the team around him, get Odell healthy, keep him happy, make sure this offensive line is squared away, play good enough defense, we'll be able to continue to build this football team, but we're going to have to address quarterback at some point in time. And I, I, I was okay with that. I was okay with that. Odell was someone who I thought, okay, the relationship between him and the front office, him and the coaching staff is going to be critical. It's going to be critical that you foster that, that you connect with him, that you understand him, he understands you, that whoever the head coach was going to be, because remember now when I, when I interviewed there, you know, the, the head coach had not been selected yet, obviously. Yep. So whoever that guy was going to be needed to make sure that was one of the A number one priorities, building a, a relationship with him. Cause I know how Mr. Meyer expressed to me that he liked Odell. He, wanted Odell. He wanted Odell to be happy. He wanted Odell to be a New York Giant. He just wanted to find a way in order to have that relationship with him. So, And I was 100% behind that. I was like, look, you're absolutely right. That That's going to be critical. So, would I have drafted Saquon? Yeah, I understood it, and I wouldn't have had a problem with it. Would I wanted to build up the offensive line just like Dave tried to? Yeah, I would have. Um, would I have wanted to sign Odell to a long-term extension and keep him in New York? Yeah. I would have. So I understood all of those types of things. Now, heading into 2019, would I have wanted to keep Landon Collins? Absolutely. I've said this numerous times on our shows. The signal-caller positions, the guys who are front-facing players, who talk to the rest of the team, the guys who, who, you know, when you're in the huddle, when you're out of practice, the guys who are getting these calls from the, from the sideline or rather in the headset and talking to the team, Safety, middle linebacker, quarterback center. I value those guys. So Landon Collins would have been a guy I wanted to keep. I wouldn't have wanted to let him get out of there. Yep. So I didn't I didn't necessarily like that. As far as quarterback is concerned, yeah, I would have made it a priority to try and draft a quarterback. I just wouldn't have drafted this one. Everybody knows how I feel about Dwayne Haskins. Been around him, was at his pro day, watched all his tape, know his coaches, know what kind of things they asked him to do up there at Ohio State. Never felt as though he should have been penalized for being in an offense that had a ton of highly draftable weapons, highly skilled weapons. He was coached by a guy who was just, who I think Ryan Day is brilliant. So I would have went that route with it. So those are the things that would have been different, all right? I would have drafted Odell. I would have made sure I somehow could keep Odell. uh, I mean, yeah, I would have drafted Saquon. I would have made sure that Odell, we had that relationship. I could have lived with Eli for a year. I mean, I understand why Dave did that. I wouldn't have drafted the quarterback that they drafted. And, you know, as far as the coaching selection in the line, look, I know Pat Shermer. I've been around him. Everybody knows how I feel about some of the other coaches that are out there right now that I would like to work with. So maybe those are some of the things that would be different. 
but does it really matter? No, but but it's no, interesting. It would you have traded Odell? No, I wouldn't have. Yeah. Like, like I said, I would have signed him to the long-term extension that they did, and I would have really tried to have a plan in place to make sure that a relationship was built between him, the head coach, me, so that he's a guy who we don't feel like, you know, six months later we have to send down the road and eat a ridiculous amount of cap space up for and dead money and have him in his prime going to another football team. I mean, that, that's just not – that's not why you do those kinds of things. And to make those kind of sharp turns in terms of, uh, in terms of decisions that you make for guys who are premium players like that, that tells me that maybe you just didn't think it through or you didn't have a good enough plan. And, I mean, it happens. Nobody's perfect, but that's, that's not how I would have foresaw it going. And it's easy for me to say this now, but I felt like they rushed on both. They rushed yeah. to trade Odell when I believe, and, again, I've had this conversation with them, when I believe the pot would have been sweetened and mm-hmm. the 49ers would have come to the table with even more than the Cleveland Browns wound up giving the New York Giants yeah. a return. The 49ers were desperate for Odell Beckham Jr. And I believe that they would have paid up. And as it got closer to the draft, they would have paid more and more to the point where the Giants would have been in a spot they couldn't have said no. But they had already traded him. I didn't understand the rush to trade him on March 11th or 12th or whatever it was. But they, they did, and the 49ers didn't even know. They never even got the chance to say, well, here's our final offer. They just traded him. I think one of the things that happens is, see, when when you aren't involved in these kinds of discussions and and you really have no skin in the game, so to speak, and you can kind of analyze things very objectively, you don't have any emotion when you're thinking about it. Like, we don't have any emotion really when we're talking about it, other than just being fans of the game. But when you're that close, and if there really is like a feeling of, our culture is wrong. This guy's the reason. I can't get along with him. I don't even want him around here. I'm not saying these are things that they specifically felt, but let's just say, generally speaking, if you feel like I just got to get this guy out of here because everything else I want to do is predicated on this cloud not hanging over me, stuff becomes personal fast. I've seen it happen. I've been, I felt that way about certain players where either I really wanted to have a guy or really I was like, as far as, you know, my opinion was concerned, we can get this guy out of here. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes like that, and enough people feel that way, you don't always do what's best for the team. You do what's best maybe for you. And what you, what you think is best for the team, but you don't really think it through all the way. And you don't necessarily always make the best deal. You just make a deal. Well, and, and, and that's, that's what they that, did. Maybe and, that's what happened. And, and by the way, if they had checked with the 49ers said, hey, listen, uh, just want to give you a heads up, we're making the trade. We're making the right. trade. We want your last best offer. That didn't happen. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you talk to enough enough people in the league. You talk to enough GMs, agents, whatever. And you know how sometimes, even when, when you're talking to them, they're not always sure about what the hell they're doing. They're not quite sure if they should do it. I mean, you, how many times have you had somebody ask you saying, hey, what do you think? Yeah. And you're, I mean, you're just like, well, I'm not there. <laughs> I mean, they're not always sure. Yeah, this is the NFL. But these are guys who are also – Sometimes, I mean, they're torn. They they kind of are getting mixed signals about what they should do. There's sometimes it's not everything's not just rock solid. And sometimes things think when you look at it from the outside, you go, well, "Why the hell would they do that? That's a dumb move. They could have got more here. They should have done this. They should have waited to draft Daniel Jones. They should have never drafted Saquon. Of course, they should have taken one of these other quarterbacks. They should have got Josh. I mean, it sounds simple. Yeah, but it's not. But it change it changes you when literally you are the one. Who's right. on the clock? And it's you. 
go into a draft room sometime in the first round, and if you're picking in those top 15, 20 picks when the clock comes on, I promise you it won't be all exciting and fun like it is when we're sitting there you know, at the draft cities. That stuff becomes tense, man. People get real, real tight because it's a big decision. Well, you know, it, it, I think Peter King wrote it on Monday in his column for the week where he quoted Mike Mayock as saying when he asked Ozzie Newsom for advice, Ozzie Newsom told him, it's real easy to have an opinion. It's harder to make a decision. That's right. That's right. And that, that's right. that I thought about that. That sums it up, man. That, that, that is what we're talking about. But I said to you, Lou, I said to you, they rushed on Beckham, which, again, is their prerogative. They had a deal that they were comfortable with. Okay? That's their decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they also, in my mind, rushed on Jones because you can't tell me any differently. I'm convinced he would have been there at 17. I think I believe he would have been there beyond 17. But yeah. we'll and, never know. And so they rushed to take the quarterback at first when I think a lot of the noise was that they go defensive player first. They rushed to trade Beckham. They, they rushed. They rushed. Yeah. One of, one of the I mean one of the primary jobs of the final speaking of opinions and decisions. One of the one of the primary jobs of the decision maker on draft day is to read the market and to know the market and try to figure out where does the value really lie, what price should I pay for this player in terms of what picture we selected, and sometimes you don't have the greatest intel. Sometimes you think you know because your scouts are out there on the road and they talk to their buddies, and a lot of scouts just can't help themselves, man. They can't stop talking. That's why Why the hell do you think some DMs ban people from the draft room? Yep. Because they can't help themselves, and they go back and tell their bosses, and then next thing you know, somebody jumps you for a player, and you're going, how the hell did they jump us right in front? Well, because one of your guys said something. Not because they're trying to undermine what you're doing, but just because guys talk. All, all these scouts know each other. Yeah. A lot of them have worked together. So, Maybe Dave just didn't have a real good feel for whether or not Daniel would be there or not. Maybe, well, he, and ultimately, he didn't care. Who, who knows? I mean, and, I, and, I, and by I, the way, if, if if Daniel Jones turns out to be a good quarterback, no issues. Like, he may of be course. good, and it may, we may, this may be just meaningless noise, white noise, okay? Because if he's a good quarterback, it doesn't matter. But But I know that we've talked about the draft. It's all about value. It's all about value and getting the right player at the right time. So I just believe that they could have had Josh Allen at 6 and Daniel Jones at 17, and Giant fans would probably be a lot happier. There'd be a little bit less pressure on Daniel Jones coming in at 17 as opposed to 6, but they went the way they went. Well, what's interesting, even more interesting about that, is some of the comments that John Madden has made himself when asked about, I believe it was at the owners' meetings, about picking a quarterback. And he said, would I like to come out of this draft with a quarterback? Yes. Yep. Do I care if it comes in the first round? No, I don't. I just want the value to be there. I just want it to make sense. If you feel there's a quarterback we should take at six, take him. If there's not, don't take him. If there's one at 17, take him. If not, don't take him. If you, you know, but it just, and he kind of, he did a really good job of saying, I want this team to be built, you know, relative to what our decision makers and our football people believe is best for this football team. And he kind of put it back on them. He put it back on Dave and his staff and said, as long as the value's there, do what you got to do. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. And for everybody who thinks that the Giants were telling me what to do or how I had to go with building that football team when I went in there and interviewed, that's not true. That's not what he ever did. As a matter of fact, it couldn't have been a better interview when I went there. He just asked me my opinions, and we talked, and I'll tell you what, 
I could have talked to him for three days straight about football. He's that easy to talk to. So I think in this case, sometimes then when you sit there, like I said, maybe you have bad intel. Maybe Dave, in his heart, really felt, in the end, I'm going to be right. And this guy's going to be worthy of the sixth pick overall. I don't give, a, you know, a you-know-what about what other yep. people say if I could have got him at 17 or whatever. Yep. But, but you can best believe people are going to hold him accountable for it because if, if Daniel Jones is just a good quarterback, an average 15, 16 rating, you know, in terms of passer rating quarterback, that's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be. Well, and I think he knows that, and we'll see. He's the sixth overall, and he may turn out to be a very good quarterback. And I will say this also. I know you like Dwayne Haskins, and you would have taken Dwayne Haskins ahead of mm-hmm. Daniel Jones. I can tell you for a fact, there were just as many teams who would have taken Daniel Jones ahead of Dwayne Haskins. So, right. I, and I think that's gotten swallowed up, that a lot of people had Daniel Jones ahead of Dwayne Haskins, but there were people split. And That's Daniel right. Jones may be a good quarterback, but I'll say this to you. Washington was not taking Daniel Jones in the first round. They told me that, okay? Right. The Broncos were right. not taking Daniel Jones in the first round. They told me that the day of the draft. So, right. again, these teams that were going to take him, I don't believe they existed, okay? Yeah, but, well, if, I mean, but if he's the quarterback, I, 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 I'm with you. I'm but with if you. he's the quarterback, if he's the quarterback that you want and you hit it, it doesn't matter where you took him, and it doesn't matter that two other teams were going to take him for a fact. It's just that's right. It's a well, it's I a. Think, I think Dave. I think Dave, Dave. Dave hears the noise. He hears what people are saying, and he knows that it's it's going to be a while until he can prove that he was right in selecting Daniel Jones in the first place. And so how do you get people off your back, or potentially? Well, you say, hey, well, there are, maybe there were other teams that may have picked my guy, and I couldn't wait. I'm not saying he's making it up. Yeah. I'm just saying he, you know, he's a human being, and after a while he gets tired of hearing it. He's, gonna get t- he's getting tired of hearing people second-guess him. And especially and in that market. Absolutely. And you know they're going to pound him. They're going to continue to pound him and pound him and pound him and pound him. And they are. And let me say this. Yeah. Living in New York, boy, people don't like him right now. Boy, oh, boy. (laughs) I know. And, you know, he's going to have to – he's just going to have to keep his head down and hope that this team continues to develop the way he envisions it developing along with Pat Shermer. Because, you know what? See, for him right now, I mean, his work is done. Really the most important part of this whole process, Adam, and you know I've talked about this a million times is what is Pat Shermer going to do with it now? Yeah. What is what is Freddie Kitchens going to do with it now? What's Bill Belichick going to do with it now? What's Mike Tomlin going to do with the pieces now? This is really the fun part because this is where I mean the draft is cool because you know we we all love it and we all love to try to figure out where these kids are going. But man, see this is the meat of it right now. This is this is the fun time. This is where I wish we could cover more OTAs and mini camps and actually be out there. Get some all access to meeting rooms and listen to how kids are taught yep. and corrected because this is where teams separate themselves. Well, this is where they do, man. How often this have you heard it's not, it's not about where you go, but it's the place you go because that yeah. organization will mold you. What would have happened if Keely Smith went to an organization that was great with quarterbacks and not the Bengals at that time? That's right. Would he That's have made right. it? I mean, no, no doubt. That's why for guys like Jared Stidham, it's awesome. Even, even for, look, speaking of the Giants, for Daniel Jones, let's forget about the price they paid for him. Going to the Giants and being behind Eli and being with Pat and being with that organization that obviously 
they're going to sponsor the hell out of him. They're going to—it's in their best interest for them to do everything they can to make him successful. So he's yep. going to get everything for him. He went to a great spot. Okay, he went to a great spot yep. as far as the quarterback room and the coaching staff. Yes. Look, Dwayne Haskins is going to a great spot to be around Alex Smith, to be around guys like that, to be around Case Keenum. You couldn't be in a better quarterback room. Hmm. You could not for a team to then be have the awareness to go. We got to get him some help too. How about we draft one of his one of his guys from Ohio State and carry him? I mean, that's smart. They're doing. They're trying to set the table for him. So a lot of these guys have gone to places. Now, what's interesting now when you when you think about setting the table for him, the Drew Locke situation is interesting. Yeah, because I don't know anything about his offensive coordinator. Their wide receiver core is in a total state of transition out there, and the number one quarterback is a guy who we've talked about, and Joe Flacco. It doesn't seem like he'd be real interested in trying to tutor someone. No, 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 and he was in that spot last year. But here's the difference, right? I think I know the people in Denver will be calling at some point for Drew Locke if Joe Flacco struggles. Right. But, but, Lou, again, let's keep in mind, Drew Locke was the 42nd pick in this draft. He was sure. picked after Denver took Noah Fant at 20 and Dalton Reisner at 41. Okay? Yeah. There is less pressure on Drew Locke stepping right. in right away. If he washes out, well, guess what? Denver missed on a second-round pick. Daniel Jones yeah, comes in at the sixth spot. That that that's that's I think an issue. No, it is expectations. I mean, expectations are very much so in line with where you were picked. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. Although Denver has had so far, but they haven't been, had a whole lot of luck. No, as far as finding their franchise quarterback. So I think there's some pressure inherently that comes with that. Just the volume of people that they brought in to play that position who haven't who haven't been the guy yet. But that being said, you're right. It, it's a much different situation for Drew than it is for. For Daniel Jones. But nevertheless, I'm just saying, when you just look at it in its totality, guys who are set up for success. I mean, it's like when we talked about with Jared Stidham. He's set up. Now, if he's a fourth-round pick and doesn't work out, rarely do any, does anybody who gets drafted by New England or goes to New England, if they don't pan out, people aren't going to blame Bill. Yep. So, I mean, it, I mean, they're, they're good regardless. I'm just saying the situation, though, for Daniel is one where he's got a lot of things going for him. He really does. I mean, they've tried to. This offensive line should be incrementally better in New York in 2019. The running game should be better. The wide receiver core, you know, they really believe in Sterling Shepard. So, I mean, there, there's a there's going to be a ton of intrigue with that football team. Although Daniel probably shouldn't see the field this year, there's a ton of intrigue with that football team, both short and long term. Long term. Before I let you go, one of the very first things you said to me was, "What stood out to you about your week?" At the draft was the scene in Nashville, and for those who didn't see it on TV, and I think everybody did, it was incredible. We've been to New York, we've been to Chicago, we've been to Philadelphia, we've been to Dallas, and while those cities did a tremendous job, and Philadelphia was wild and raucous, there was never a scene like this for an NFL draft, and I would venture to say a draft of any sport in any kind, any time, any year, this was unparalleled. And there was a text that I got from somebody that works with the NFL, that I want to just read to you. And again, uh-huh. I want to preface this by saying Roger Goodell's come under enough criticism from various people at all yeah. platforms, including in our network. So I, I don't want to make this like a kissy-kissy tweet here or text. <laughs> but some guy texted me, and I thought it was worth reading, being that yeah. you brought up the scene in Nashville. He says, FYI, if the people in Nashville are enjoying the draft, they should be cheering the guy they're booing because Roger got booed at the beginning. When Radio sure. City started an Easter show, 
that lasted one year and told the NFL that they could not host the draft. Everyone in the room at the NFL was opposed when Rodgers suggested taking it on the road and reimagining the draft. It took him six months to convince his own staff they were so strongly against it. He convinced mm-hmm. the owners before his staff, but he kept pushing. He saw what it could be for the fans and wanted to keep it all free and a celebration of American football for fans around the country. So if they like the event, the experiences, all the activities and entertainment, all free, they should be cheering Roger Goodell rather than now booing him. He never... Uh, so that, that's that's basically it. Um, hey, and put an explanation point on the end of that. that that's... He that's said, he good, said, knowing the whole story as I, knowing the whole story as I do and knowing how big this is in Nashville and getting bigger and better, it's time. It's beyond time. Yeah. Well, hats off to the commissioner then, man. Hats off. Because, you know, not, not, I'm sure, I mean, I didn't know that's how it transpired. I didn't know that those were, those were the particulars around it hitting the road. And he does deserve kudos for that. He deserves all the credit in the world for that because it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, man. I mean, you, I, I never, Never thought the draft would become that. Remember the first draft that I went to in Radio City when I went there and did it for radio? I thought that was big. Yep. I thought, yeah. you know, this is, this, that's nothing, nothing compared to what it's doing now. Nothing. Hey, keep in mind, Pete Rozelle, the former NFL commissioner, when it was brought to him, the idea of televising the draft, he left. He's like, who wants to watch them reading the names of players? And look what yeah. it's evolved into. It's evolved into one of the single biggest sports events on the sports calendar, one of the single biggest days in the yeah. NFL, the biggest off-season day in the NFL, and an event that outdraws NBA playoff games, Major League Baseball <laughs> yeah. playoff games, hockey playoff yeah. games. That event is become a huge thing. And to that text that I got from that individual, it does get bigger and bigger and bigger. And next year, it'll be in Las Vegas as the Raiders oh, are getting ready to debut there. And oh boy. I'm already hearing talk of them shutting down the strip and taking oh it over, boy. and you could just imagine what yeah, that's going to yeah. be like, Lou. Uh, that, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> put it that way, I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Lou, well, thank fun. you very much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Go back to getting some rest, and we'll see you in Bristol next week on Monday. You got it, buddy. All right, man. Thanks. We'll be back in a moment with Evan Kaplan, but first I want to tell you about Zip Recruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Cap hit. Now joining us, my ESPN friend and colleague, Evan Kaplan, coming off the events of last week. And Evan, you heard some of Lewis Riddick there Mm -hmm. talking about Daniel Jones, when he'll see the field. What's your assessment here of when he might 
see some action. Well, let's spin it forward, Adam, to, to, to look at quarterbacks who have been drafted as high as Daniel Jones was and when they've played recently. So you look at since 2008, there's 15 quarterbacks prior to Jones and Murray this year who were drafted in the top six overall picks. 14 of those 15 QBs started at least 10 games as a rookie. 11 of the 15 started in week one. Let me just read quickly a few of these names. Baker Mayfield, 13 starts. Sam Darnold, 13. Trubisky, 12. Jared Goff, the one outlier, 7. Wen 16. Winston, 16. You get the point. So, we've all heard what Dave Gettleman said. We know that they plan on sticking with Eli Manning until we start the season, but this would be certainly a change from what teams have done when they select a quarterback this high in the draft over the last 10-plus years. They play as rookies. The, the numbers bear that out. So history says we're going to see Daniel Jones sooner rather than later, despite the fact that Dave Gettleman has said that he will be on the bench for a little bit of time here. That's that's what it says. I mean, and, and you look at since 2008, all those guys picked in the top six where Jones was picked, they play as rookies. The last quarterback who actually did not start a single game as a rookie picked in the top six was Philip Rivers, who coincidentally drafted by the Giants in 04, traded to the Chargers. So it's been 15 years since it's happened. We'll see what the Giants end up doing. But uh, but like you said, the numbers suggest that we will see Daniel Jones in 2019. You brought up Kyler Murray, who became the number one overall pick. How did his selection in Arizona impact the AFC East, Evan? Yeah, it's interesting. So we know that, that he became the second straight Heisman winner from Oklahoma, drafted number one overall, and interestingly enough, in Week 15 this season, assuming they're both starting and healthy, he will play against Baker Mayfield when the Browns travel to Arizona to play the Cardinals. But it's interesting the fallout of the Murray pick and how that relates to the AFC East. So Josh Rosen traded to the Dolphins. You now have three top hmm. ten quarterbacks from the 2018 draft, all in the all in the AFC East. Sam Darnold with the Jets, Rosen with the Dolphins, Josh Allen with the Bills. And uh, our friends at Elias told us only twice since 1970 have three top 10 quarterbacks started in the same division within their first two years in the NFL. So you look at Tom Brady, who will be 42 when the season starts, and then you look at all these young guys now in the AFC East. We'll see what happens with the Dolphins and and Rosen and Fitzpatrick, but an interesting quarterback situation now in that division. And think about this. you got Baker Mayfield in Cleveland and Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. So all five of the quarterbacks picked in the first round of the historic 2018 NFL draft, all in the AFC, which I think bodes well for the future and strength of that conference coming up and seeing how that goes down. Now, the strength of college football has been Alabama leading the way. How would we put into perspective what Alabama has done in the draft in recent years. This ended up being one of my favorite notes of, of day three on Saturday. So there ended up being 10 Alabama players picked in this draft. That was the most for any school. It was the third straight year there were at least 10 Alabama players selected. Now you put that in perspective with the SEC, which has been the best conference in college football for at least the last 10, 15 years. Third straight year Alabama, 10 players in the draft. In the previous 50 years, there were only three instances of an SEC school having 10 players in a single draft. Alabama has now matched in the last three years what the entire conference did in the previous 50, and it's just every year you can chalk up these players. We had three in the first round this year with uh, Quentin Williams, Jonah Williams, and Josh Jacobs, and it's incredible what Nick Saban continues to do in terms of preparing players for the NFL. And guess what? The top prospects for the 2020 draft, Evan? Exactly. Tua, Jerry, yep. Judy. Exactly. We'll see the same thing again next year, I'm sure. 
So Alabama will be on the clock, maybe again at number one Mm -hmm. with Alabama sending Tua to the NFL. Evan, thanks for joining us this week. Great job at the draft last week, and we'll speak to you again soon. Sounds good, Adam. Thanks. We'll be back in a moment with Sebastian Janikowski. But first, I want to let you know that this week on the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, Mina's back from Nashville, and it's still dumbfounded, as are many, by the Giants' decision to draft Daniel Jones with the sixth overall pick. She's joined by Michael Jr. to recap the weekend of steals and reaches and to decide whether or not real swag is no swag. Download and subscribe to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now, one of the most prolific kickers in NFL history, the 17th overall pick in the first round of the 2000 NFL draft, the only kicker to be drafted in the first round in the common era draft, retired after 19 seasons in the NFL, 18 with the Raiders, one season with Seattle, Sebastian Janikowski. Thanks for taking some time today, Sebastian. So tell us what went into the decision to walk away from the game at this point. Uh, you know, just something my body just shut down a little bit. You know, my last game of those dollars, you know, I popped my hamstring. So, and then my lower back is just giving up on me. And, you, know, it, you know, it's a lot of work doing weight and stuff. So I was breaking apart, you think. <laughs> Did anybody want you to come back and kick this season? Uh, I never received any phone calls. Uh-uh. Did that influence your decision at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was some part of it, definitely. You know, it's already late in April, so you don't get a phone call. Then you know, the teams are already set with the kickers, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure. Now, what would happen if, hypothetically, come November or December, there's a playoff contender that has a kicker struggling, and they called in, they said, Sebastian, we want you to come out and finish the season. Come out of retirement, help us finish the season. Do you think there's any way you'd be enticed at that point in time? Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't think I would do that. Retirement is retirement. It's time to just enjoy it. So when we look back at your NFL career, in which you had the most fifty-yard field goals in NFL history, fifty-eight in your career, in which you're the Raiders' all-time leader in nearly every kicking category, what kick are you most proud of? Is there one that stands out to you, Sebastian? I think. Uh... Well, there's always a 57 yarder in here where something was against the Jets in overtime. Yep. That one stands out, but I think most proud, I would say, I would play Cleveland, Cleveland Bears, I think. That was uh, 2008. It was cold, it was snowing, that was 61 yarder. That was a pretty tough kick. 61 yarder in the snow and cold? Yeah, it was like 20 some degrees, and uh, I think it was like a 2008 game or something. Now, how does it feel knowing that you and Tom Brady were the last players from the 2000 draft class? It's crazy. I mean, it's been a long career. I really enjoy it. You know, it was a good run, but it's always come to the end. You know. Did you ever have any relationship with him? I mean, you both played in the Tuck Rule game. Yeah, we both played in that game. Yeah, I talked to him like after the game when we, you know, we played New England. So he knows it was a fumble. <laughs> so it was a fumble, huh? Uh, well, my car, yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, he never told me that, but he knows he's mine, I think. <laughs> Would you have been able to make that kick that Vinatieri made in the snow that night? No, I think I kicked a 45 yarder. 45 and a 36 in that game. I think I had two field goals in that game. 
So nobody talks about your two field goals, but everybody remembers Vinatieri's kicks from those games. Well, they won the game, of course. So you know, you always want to talk about the winning team, right? <laughs> well, so if Oakland would have won, we would have been anointing you as one of the great cold yeah, weather kickers, right? Yeah, my field goals. Yeah, <laughs> Adam, I know Adam for a long time. He's a great he's a long time. Now, you mentioned the other day how disappointing it was to lose the Super Bowl. How much does that stay yeah. with you? Well, it stays. It's going to stay for us a lot. I mean, those are my only Super Bowl actually appearance. And, uh, you know, if you got a loss in the Super Bowl, it's always going to, always going to stay a little bit. <laughs> so how do you feel about the Raiders moving to Las Vegas? Uh, you know, just I'm sad for the fans in Oakland because I spent uh, 18 years there. You know, they've been really supportive. But they're going to find new fans in Vegas, you know. I'm wishing them all the best. Now, i got to ask you also, um, what will be your lasting memory of the black hole? Oh, man, there's a lot of memories from the black hole. Uh, just screaming at people, you know, just, just having fun, having a good time. And, uh, man, yeah, you put it that way, I'm kind of missing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you talk about having a good time. You ever come close to oversleeping for a game, for going out too late the night before? People always looked at you as being a really fun guy. Yeah. Get, get. Actually, oh, you talking about, no, never, never. <laughs> Dude, I'm always early. If you ask anybody before meetings, I'm 20 minutes before the meetings, I'm already in there. Really? Yeah. I go to the stadium, I go to the stadium five and a half hours before the game and get my ritual, get my, you know, the usually what I do. No. How come so early? I just don't want to be late. I want to get fined. <laughs> have Have you ever gotten fined for being late? Here, that yeah. <laughs> I missed the meeting, and uh, I got fined. And since then, I was like, no, nah, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Also, it's kind of interesting. Shane Leckler and you retire from the NFL the same season. He was such a great punter for so long. You were such a great kicker for so long. What does it mean that the two of you will leave the NFL in the same off season? Uh, we came in in the same year too, so you gotta look at that way. And we retired in the same year, so it's pretty cool. And uh, you know, Shane, the Hall of Famer, he helped me a lot. He was such a great holder, and you know, with John Condo snapping, you know, it was awesome. We have a good thing going. Did you ever talk about going out the same year with him? Did that idea ever come up? No, actually, we never talked about that. It just really happened. <laughs> so you walk away now at the age of forty-one. You made yep. more money than any kicker in NFL history. What is next for Sebastian Janikowski? What are you going to do with your well, life now? Uh, you know what? Just hanging out with the kids. You know, the family, go barbecuing, take them to school. Like I said, be a taxi driver. That's always fun. Is there anything that you want to do in retirement other than spend family time? Want to travel somewhere? Want to go somewhere? You can have some free time in the summer that you haven't had for 19 consecutive years here? No, that's something that we might discuss with the wife if we uh, maybe go somewhere for a little bit. But I, right now, I'm just going to enjoy with the family and uh, maybe down the road some, some different pups out. Well, Sebastian, congratulations on a tremendous run. It was an honor to watch you. You had a great, great career, and we will miss watching you in the NFL. Thank you. And so there's a goodbye from the longtime NFL kicker, Sebastian Janikowski, who finishes with 1,913 career points in the NFL, 10th in NFL history. Thank you to Sebastian Janikowski, and congratulations on a great career. Thank you to Evan Kaplan, the ESPN NFL researcher who broke down last week's draft, and thank you to my friend and colleague, Louis Riddick, 
who look back on the events of last week. Please join us again next week as we are scheduled to be joined by the Bengals Pro Bowl wide receiver, A.J. Green, and the ESPN analyst and former Dolphins general manager, Mike Tannenbaum. Thanks for listening this week, everybody.